There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Welcome to My Millennial Property. I am here with John Pigeon to discuss the topic of the century, which is to buy or not to buy. And not so much a question of whether you do or don't. It's more about the timing. Is now a good time to buy? And what is happening with the market? It's going to be a bit of a juicy episode. And off air, John asked me, Emily, do you have the answer to this? I said, um, not really. But I have, I have my thoughts, and I think that's probably what we're here to unpack today. Isn't that right? That's correct. Yeah, let's, uh, let's rip in. Let's do it. Yes. So, full disclaimer, this is not advice. <laughs> this is not crystal ball stuff. This is just our thoughts and opinions on where the market is heading, or markets, should we say, in the next six to 12 months. So, Emily... Someone reached out with a beautiful question that said, looking to buy my first home soon, not sure if I should buy now or wait six or 12 months. Hmm. I'm getting a lot of this lately. Should I wait? And what time period should I wait for if I do? Yes. And do you know what? I think the angle of, of the opinion varies to a degree on circumstances and also the fact of first home buyer versus investor because I do think investors are a very logical purchase. They don't want to overpay for a property. They don't want to find themselves in a place where they're going to lose out in quick succession. Whereas a first or family home buyer, generally speaking, has a longer hold time of those properties and is usually dictated by a particular property type in a particular area. So there are slim pickings as to what might actually equate to that purchase. Mm. And therefore, usually I would say the timing is when you're ready to buy. Mm. Whereas an investor, that actually might have a bit of variation to it depending on what markets they're dealing in and what the supply is like. Yeah, and there's a a hybrid of that, isn't it? Is is, uh, do I buy my own home to live in now or do I buy an investment um, based on the markets and which particular markets are doing what. Like I, I know in Sydney at the moment and we're recording this in June, um, there's there's probably a, a 5 maybe even 10% drop in, in what prices were maybe three to six months ago. So whereas other areas surrounding, which are within an hour, two hours from Sydney are not experiencing that same dip. So mm. you're right in terms of the markets that, uh, that you're playing in, but it's, um, again, it's controllables and, and what's in your um, corner and what can you do about it versus the uncontrollables. And it's really the uncontrollables that we're talking about, isn't it? Like we know we've had interest rate rises of late, uh, 
we know the cost of living is is uh, is greater. So what we can handle as a mortgage repayment is is very different. So the owner rock generally has to come up with P and I. The investor is probably more so interest only and getting some rental assistance from the tenant. So yeah, it's a it's a really interesting time and and it's um, for for first time listeners or for for anyone that hasn't seen interest rate rises or maybe slight property dips. It's not the first time it's happened in the last hundred years, and it won't be the last time it happens either. So, have some comfort in the fact that this is normal cycle stuff. This is nothing that's surprising to long-term uh, property owners. So, for, first of all, let's get our head around that piece, um, and then think: Well, are we trying to time the market here, or is it just time in the market? Um, uh, are we owner occupier for the next thirty years, or is this our stepping stone to our next uh, forever home? So th- there's a lot of questions, isn't there? There is, and I think it's interesting to hear what people are witnessing on the ground as well, because you know, in some pockets of the market, I speak to some other you know uh, buyers agents, buyers advocates across Australia, and they're just not seeing a slowing, whereas. In some areas, you're seeing drastic discount and I, a lot of people are sort of going, well, maybe I need to be ready to buy in case there is a bargain that comes across um, their way and that they want to capitalise on on that. I think all in all, I personally didn't expect an impact on the market this year, you know, being 2022. The market was going so strong late 2021 into 2022 and only really started to see sort of a slight pullback in that April, uh, definitely, you know, continued through May and, and now we're recording this in June. But I think fundamentally, it does come down to your personal circumstances as to when you are financially in a position to make a move on something and being ready to do so, particularly if you're thinking, well, you know, if the right thing comes along at the right price, having that pre-approval in hand is so vital. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so are we ready to buy now? Have we got our head around buying now? We spoke about that in the, in the last, um, last recording of, uh, of controlling what we can control first. And is it the right time to buy for us? More so, is it the right time to buy in a particular market? But you're right. There's a if if we just look at the mainstream media, it's it's doom and gloom across mm-hmm. the whole well, probably world, um, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but we know there's sub-markets within markets and there's markets all around the country. I know Perth is is still flying pretty well, but when you look back at Perth prices, um, Perth at, at the height 2013-14 only just recovered to the peak uh, of, of what it was back in 2014 last year or, or late the year before. So uh, every every different town and city has different cycles and, and I was always told there's, there's always somewhere good to buy, right? It's just mm. whether you're prepared to go and buy there and, and I think you mentioned before about the owner rock. Well, the owner rock will probably have their one or two or three suburbs that they'll want to buy in um, usually for the long term, whereas the investor has the whole country to play with um, in respect to that. So can they go and get a discount now? Uh, potentially, but what really is a discount? Like what, what I'm seeing out there at the moment and um, and probably Brisbane's running uh, still full head of steam with a slight slowing, uh, whereas that's very different to, to Sydney where markets have, have cooled a little. And what we may have paid for 
for example, was that there's a property there on, on for sale that we looked at that was um, advertised at 1.1, okay? But it was probably in our minds only worth about a mil. So we thought it was about 100K heated. And in a heated time, that probably would have sold for 1.1, right? But now it's only fetching around the mil mark. So I don't think it's actually dipped too much yet. It's more that the heat's come off it and people aren't going to be paying overs for a particular property. I think the other thing is in this market, we still see good sales, right? Like, I mean, I know in Melbourne, it's a mixed bag of whatever's going to happen on an auction weekend. Some things are flying, some things are really sticking around for a long time. Two factors come into that. Number one, as you alluded to, pricing. You know, has it actually been priced accordingly in today's market and what value reflects in the market right now as opposed to the height of the market? But also, what type of quality property is it? The, the stock that is lingering and hanging around for a long time potentially is a B grade or a C grade property. And, you know, obviously going by the notion of grading, A is where you want to be. If a B or C grade property is floating around, maybe it's a main road address, maybe it's a funny cut block, maybe it's near a train line, there's all these different things that come into it, you may not want to buy that property just for the sake of getting a bargain. You actually may be better hunting down an A-grade property that is competitive, that is in demand, because when you go to resell that property, you should see the same type of effect. You've got to be very careful about this notion of bargain buying because um, it may not always do you well in the long run. Yeah, it's a really good point. And, and uh, people may have actually done that through that heated market. So they may be sitting back thinking, well, the asset type that I've bought now may not be sustainable for the long term because anything performs in a heated market, doesn't it? And, and mm. there's an old saying, when the tide goes out, you want to make sure you've got your shorts on. So <laughs> like when the tide goes out, your asset needs to stand up in any situation, in any climate. And in a downturn, good properties still hold their own. It's very different to a share market, isn't it, where pretty much everyone gets dealt a blow, uh, whereas you, you don't see it a lot in uh, a lot of blue chip regions. Uh, maybe at the real extreme top end where we might have $8 million properties that now only uh, are only worth $7 million or $7.5 million. So that, it's a big chunk of cash up that end. But uh, generally that cookie cutter uh, middle class suburb pretty much holds, it, holds its own. But again, coming back to the, the key indicator, I think the most important in any property market and that's supply demand. So mm. how much supply is it out there at the moment versus how much demand? And, and one indicator that uh, you Melbourne people love to use, Emily, is, is auction clearance rates. So mm. what are we seeing down there, if for an example? Well, clearance rates are between the 60 and 70%, depending what source you actually look at, because there doesn't seem to be exactly one pure form of, of truth down here. But it's higher than 60, it's less than 70. I'll give you that. Yep. Uh, and certainly... Yes, it is an indicator. I wouldn't say it's the be-all and end-all because a lot of properties are actually selling prior to auction, so they're not actually noted in the clearance rate. They're noted as a private sale. Um, so you'll probably see the private sale numbers go up. And then, look, I think it really does come, like I attended a few auctions on the weekend and ones that I thought would really fly had no bids. Right. And it was this ear, like sort of a nervousness type of vibe. Good crowd, but everyone's a little bit nervous who makes the move and you know, maybe it'll drop next week if no one bids. And then others just flew 
Um, there was one I attended that I, I tend to get a bit annoyed and I'm sure the general public does too when the vendors reserve in this type of market is drastically over the quote range. I find that quite greedy and unrealistic, even yes. if it does get to that point. Yeah. So there was one that was about 10, 10% over the top end of the range until it hit on the market and that was a bit frustrating. Yes. Um, the crowd were very uh, frustrated by that. But I think- No one wants you know, to buy it. <laughs> no. And if you're a vendor in this market, you really have to be realistic. Like, are you a genuine seller? And if you're not, pull it off the market until you feel comfortable. You know, it might be another two or three years before you feel that there's heat again and you can, you're good to go. Mm. But- Unless you are a genuine seller, I wouldn't just have your property sitting there lingering with high days on market because that's another indicator. Days on market expanding out can mean a softening of the market. Yeah, and and uh, do we find that in times like this where there's a uh, maybe a bit of volatility that you see a lot of ordinary stock hitting the market, trying to trying to offload, um, and the good properties, as you said, they they decide no, I don't need to sell that, so I'll uh, I'll take that back off the market if it's not going to reach the price that I actually wanted to. Yeah, potentially it is a mixed bag. There are varying uh, grades of property that you know are floating around on the market at the moment. I wouldn't say we've seen a massive drop in the A grade property. If anything, I'm seeing it more off market. Um, like vendors are happy to do it off market because the risk to them is quite minimal uh, and it's not uh, a general public uh, piece of knowledge, I guess, that that property is sitting there for an extended period of time. Uh, but yeah, I would say there's not a huge amount of choice floating around mm. in Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, but the good ones are still performing quite well. Yeah, and I think that's what people need to understand is that whilst the, uh, there's doom and gloom in the media, it's uh, people adjust to the new norm quite quickly as well. So I think in in property world, it's it's interest rates, isn't it? So mm. once we see a month where the RBA doesn't lift the rates and the banks have sort of set their target and they're they're happy, and then there's a couple of months of no interest rate rises, people start to adjust to that as well. So realize that this sort of stuff is is short term um, when I say short term like most dips in the in the past hundred odd years have lasted maybe 12 to 18 months and then about the same time to recover back up to where they were so mm. that that's in the major markets and and we spoke about different asset types and they perform differently and and sub markets within markets so there's also the variations but on a high level that's generally what the Australian property market has done but uh, yeah I think what I'm experiencing in different areas of the country is the supply is is quite limited still but the demand has also dropped off a little as well. So there might not be the upsizers thinking of upsizing anymore or the investors might be holding off a little bit or the, the first home buyers now the interest rate rises maybe um, quilled their fact to try and get into that market for the first time. So I, I think uh, the, the fundamentals are that there's a still a, an undersupply of property around the country. Indeed. Actually, after the break, when I have a quick, quick chat to you about the deficit of housing, we will find ourselves in and a bit of a reflection upon the apartment market. I've got an interesting view that I'd like to share with you oh, that yeah. I am open for your feedback on. Keen, so. keen to hear. <laughs> Let's have a break and we'll come back. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So, John, it's no surprise that when migration picks up to full speed and Australia continues on in accepting migrants and having an increased population, we are actually going to find ourselves in a housing deficit. The construction industry won't be able to keep up. It already can't keep up with the number of homes that we need. But I saw a stat that was released and I obviously uh, can't quote exactly who said this or where, where the source was from. I should find it and put in the show notes. But something like we will be in a deficit of 3 million properties by 2030. So eight years away, we will have a deficit of 3 million homes. Mm. Now, that to me... A, is quite scary, um, but B, also my mind kind of went to, okay, how do we accommodate this much housing, right? Because we're very much a sprawled country. We have our city centres and we sprawl out and out and out all into these Greenfields estates so that people can have their three bed, two bath, two car and a backyard. However, there are many countries in the world where apartment living is how people live. They live in these high rises that it's acceptable for a four or five person family to live in a two bedroom apartment and have access to amenity. And when you look at the sprawl, for what you can spend, six, let's just call it 600000 in Melbourne, you can buy a two bed, two bath apartment in the inner city in a high rise, or you could buy in a Greenfields estate, a house with some a land component outdoor space. I'm keen to hear your feedback on this, but my prediction is we actually may see a swing in favour of the apartments that have not actually been so popular in recent years. Mm. What do you think about that? Oof, well, we've heard it first here. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to hold myself to this, but I, I just uh. it's an interesting theory. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting theory. The, the whole deficit of housing in Australia is 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 evident. There's no doubt about that. Um, whether it's going to go up or out is is another question, isn't it? Uh, up meaning 
build it into the fresh air in the in the CBD or or satellite cities like your Parramatta's and your Penrith and those sort of places, um, or we go out into your greenfield estates, or indeed make larger regional places larger and have these again satellite cities that fly into and have universities and healthcare and all those sort of things. So I I, I tend to agree with you. For the short term, I'm just not sure about the long term, and mm. and I agree with the whole migration thing with the apartments. Um, yeah, that's where uh, overseas university students come and live. They love that inner city lifestyle, access to everything, don't need a car, etc. But it's not the Aussie way. The mm. the Aussie way wants wants a double garage, wants maybe a boat eventually, wants kids to play in the backyard and kick a ball around, and uh, and and ride their scooters and all those things that that Australians are accustomed to. So I just can't see that being a London or a New York or a Hong Kong or that that just has high rises and Shanghai for forever and a day. Um, but you're right. There's there's shortage, and there's they've got to build them somewhere. So, as an investor, we're always thinking, well, where are we going to build them? And we want to be there because there's going to be some urgency around living there because they've created the these new shopping centres and a, a new Bunnings and a new hospital and a new university, and uh, and and we can capture some growth as a result of that. But this uh, this conversation you and I are having. We're sort of agreeing, but there's going to be barbecues around the country that that have these conversations. <laughs> it's like, well, where what's what's the alternative? Because the affordability of housing is is no longer there like it was twenty years ago, and the space that people want to accommodate just also isn't there as well. Yeah, I agree. It's it's going to be interesting in the short term. I think potentially, like put it this way, if you're migrating to Australia and you've come from a country or, or a city where the apartment lifestyle is the, the get-go, you know, it's the way that everyone sort of lives, and you look at the pricing of the apartments versus the houses, you'd be th- thinking, like, it's a no-brainer. Of course we're going to go yeah. and buy an apartment, you know? That's right. So maybe it caters to a particular type of setup that maybe are accustomed to that type of housing, and maybe that will keep apartments afloat. But I do think maybe there is also a middle ground where we start to see medium density, you know, more townhouses um, or, you know, 40 to 50 apartments in a block in the middle rings of the cities to accommodate. Because otherwise, honestly, we're going to be ending up with houses like two hours out. Regional is going to become metro if we keep sprawling the way that we're sprawling. And I just don't think it's sustainable. Yeah, well, it's it's already happening when you you look at, Geelong and Melbourne, like they're soon to marry up, aren't they? And yeah. and uh, the the infrastructure needs to keep up with that, and that's the problem that a council is having in in a lot of areas. Is is how do we keep up with this, and have we got the money to do that? Do we need to put our rates up and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, I think the the whole um, I look at apartment supply and demand and development approvals quite closely in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. And what we've seen trending is by 2016 and 17, development approvals um, for inner city apartments were sky high, like Mm. massive. So what we saw there was an oversupply of apartments in those three cities. And generally they're, they're all the same. Right, developers cotton on that that's what's happening and they all do it in 
regardless of what major city you're in. Fast forward to now, development approvals and um, and construction is at its lowest, right? So supply and demand is now back in check. Vacancy rates are low and we'll see a short-term uplift in, in apartment prices, I think. Yeah. But yeah. And and then what happens is it, it swings around again. Developers say, well, okay, well, this is great. I'm going to buy some land now. And that, bought, uh, that land I bought 10 years ago, I'm now going to bring out of the ground because there's now no supply. Um, and then everyone decides to do it. And now there's a heap of supply and not enough <laughs> demand. And then the cycle continues. And we've seen that happen over the last 20 or 30 years as a trend. But um, I just think... Uh, there's a separate conversation between owner rock and investor, isn't it? As an owner rock, do I want to live in a two or three bedroom apartment um, for the next 10 or 15 years or is it just a, um, an interim thing before I upgrade to my family home? Correct, indeed. I think uh, another one of the common questions that we're getting at the moment is around a crash, you know, what's going to happen in the market? Is it crashing? Has it crashed? Is there more to go? And if it does have more to go, should I wait to buy? And look, John, just by nature of you being in the industry longer than me, you've seen more cycles than I have. Is there anything you could liken this period to or is this new territory, do you think, in the way that the market's evolving at the moment, given that we've had all-time low interest rates now going in an upwards direction? What, what's your sort of take on, on the, the market as a whole? Yeah, I think my my take on it is it's the same, same but different. Like you, you've, you're experiencing different factors. Your, your cost of living is higher. Your property prices are definitely higher, but you've also got supply-demand issues, whereas in previous lows or, or I suppose um, retractions, the supply and demand has been in favour of the the supply, right? There's been an yes. oversupply, which has created a bit, a bit of a crash, if you want to call it. It's a pretty harsh word, isn't it, crash? But mm. um, I, I think um, we've got what's happening now is like a, a mid-cycle slowdown, if you want to use the, the whole property cycle um, mm-hmm. commentary on it. It's like I think we'll have a, a, a quite a slow 12 to 18 months and then we'll start to go again once we find the, the new norm. Right, and that's that's yeah. a generalised Australian market update, um, <laughs> like the media does, as opposed to saying, "Well, let's look at individual markets and submarkets within those as well." If we want to be strategic investors, yeah, definitely. And I think it's interesting the timing of the actual year in terms of season as this change is happening. We're also we've got winter in the mix, which historically mm. has always been a, a lower stock time. Yes, but I'm not sure if you've been across the. Um, media reports of the wait to get your damn passport at the moment, but it seems like a lot of people want to go overseas. So there's the travel component where people are favouring other things outside of property, um, yeah. obviously coming out of the situation we have found ourselves in over the last two years. So that, like those factors do culminate in this sense of the market pulling back because not just because of interest rates, that's actually not in isolation, the no. reason the market is going the way it is is a culmination of things. And also, obviously, we've had the election now, but Victoria does have a state election in November. I think, really, I don't think the Melbourne market's going to 
be truly performing until after that's done and dusted because we might get a bit of momentum and then I reckon we're going to pull back again because we're unsure what's going to happen and what yeah. if there's a change. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting 12 to 18 months, I reckon, to see how this all sort of unfolds. I yeah. mean, who are we to know exactly how it's going to play out? No, no, and I think that's the, yeah, that's the beauty of it. We're just two people having a bit of a chat and giving our mm. thoughts and and um, feelings on it all. But, like, the, the question of coming back to at the start of the show, do we get into the market now or do we wait? Yes. Um, still comes back to the individual circumstance, doesn't it? Like, I and you're probably the same. We're still finding fantastic outcomes for people out there as an investor with great yields, um, and we believe some some consistent growth to come, and no major downturn in those particular markets. Um, and the, the the crappy stock we're still avoiding, like we did in the hot times. Like no, a lot of the fundamentals don't change, do they? Yeah, I agree. And look, if you are someone out there who's debating buying a property or maybe you've even got a pre-approval in hand right now, I would be very careful in who you listen to. You know, I hear people say, oh, well, oh, you know, my friend who is in finance or my, my uncle who's owns a lot of properties said I shouldn't buy right now. I would just question why that is the case. Like I feel like people sort of go, oh, well, they said that, so, you know, it must be true. So sort of be curious and question as to why they think that because a lot of people often reflect back in these times of cooling and wish they bought now. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying it's for everybody the right time to buy by any means, but by way of indication, like I'm in a position where I'll probably get a pre-approval sorted after my tax return's done because I think – you know, it could be a good time to buy. I'm in the right position, but I also think there could be some things that come across my desk that are of interest and I want to be able to act on them. You know, if someone in the industry is planning on <laughs> looking at buying, like mm. I wouldn't want to be buying in the height of the market because everybody is putting their hands up left, right and centre and potentially getting very emotional about property. I'd rather buy when there's less competition personally. Yeah, and, and I'd probably follow those thoughts. Like we, we've if we're just looking purely at interest rates, um, the prediction was 2024 um, mm. that they were going to rise. Now that's come two two years prematurely. <laughs> so I yes. I thought I'd be buying in 2024 when interest rate rises and market cools, etc. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm buying now because the market has slowed and the heat's come off the market and there's great opportunity out there for for people. So it's Whoever you speak to is is really key here, isn't it? And yeah. also the way you read it. Are you reading it in a positive, constructive manner or are you a pessimist that's always got a doom and gloom story to tell or we always look to the negative in the situation? So that's that team of people around you. That's, uh, that's the way you wake up and jump out of bed each day. Uh, controllables first and then, all right, well, uh, what's my strategy? Is it I'm going to live in this neighbourhood for the next 10 years? Okay, so if I buy now versus wait until December, uh, which one am I more certain of? Well, if I buy now, I know what I'm going to pay for it and then I can set and forget. Am I planning on having kids next year? Okay, well, I can't buy next year because I won't get lending. So Mm. today and this year is my year sort of thing. So looking in your own backyard first is really key, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. I agree with that. So... Hopefully it's given you some stuff to think about because it is quite a topical issue at the moment. Mm. When to buy, should I buy, should I not buy? 
But I think fundamentally what's been echoed through this episode is you need to factor in your own circumstances. There is no blanket rule as to when the right time to buy is. Uh, have a plan in place, have a strategy that you're working towards and have the right people around you to help you achieve that is imperative to being successful in the property journey. Absolutely. Yeah, well said. Uh, good conversation. There's, uh, yeah. there's no right or wrong. We've just got an opinion and you get what you pay for. Indeed. <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, if you have enjoyed today's episode or any other episode that we've put out and you're a long-time listener, we would love to hear from you in the form of a review. We don't often ask for them, but we would love to see a few more reviews with feedback in them for us. So please feel free to take a moment and send them through. There's a link in the show notes below. Um, but other than that, John, I think until next week. We are done. Thanks uh, Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for everyone's support. If you're first time, thank you. If you're long time, thank you again. <laughs> Until next week, see ya. Okay, bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast and Glenn James are authorised representatives of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services licence 451289.